Are you struggling with your private practice? Do you need ideas about how to expand and grow your mental health practice? Would you like to listen to seasoned experts share their successful strategies and story of success? You've come to the right place. Welcome to Psych Biz Season 2. Welcome to Episode 2 of Season 2. I'm Howard Baumgarten, and I'm really excited to bring you our interview that Sarah and I had with Donald Altman, a dear friend and colleague of mine, whom I met when attending one of his seminars back in 2013. And then uh, as the stars aligned, he became my editor sort of by accident of my Private Practice Essentials volume. And we became very good friends uh, as a result of this connection that we made. So Sarah and I sat down with Donald back in uh, the early part of the spring. And we had a wonderful conversation with him, which I'm going to share with you now. But before I do, I want to tell you a little bit about my friend Donald. He is a licensed professional counselor living in Portland, Oregon, a psychotherapist, former monk, and an award-winning author with nearly 20 books on mindfulness and spirituality. He is an international speaker and trainer and has trained over 10,000 mental health clinicians, nurses, doctors, and others on how to use mindfulness interventions for such things as depression, anxiety, burnout, prevention, trauma, pain, and stress-related conditions. He's presented at national symposiums multiple times, and his work's been featured in the Psychotherapy Networker, the Los Angeles Times, and other publications. And he currently writes practical mindfulness blog for Psychology Today, and his articles have reached over 500,000 views within the past year. He's a two-time gold award winner of the Ben Franklin Publishing Award, and uh, for both the psychology and body-mind-spirit categories, and he's also been a featured expert in the mindfulness movie. It's my honor and pleasure to share this wonderful interview, an interview in which Donald talked about balance and resilience, finding the greater wholeness from within, and experiencing joy from within using your passions as a clinician. We talked about writing, we talked about his work, and about the advice that he has for practitioners, and here's the interview now. Enjoy. We are so excited. Sarah, you're not going to believe this, but we have Donald Altman here, author, former Buddhist monk, therapist, internationally recognized speaker and trainer. I can't wait to interview my dear friend and colleague, uh, Donald Altman. And Donald, you're here now. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Our listeners are going to be so excited to hear you talk today about your work. Welcome. Well, thank you, Howard and uh, Sarah. It's wonderful to be here with you, too. Uh, I've uh, long admired your work, Howard, and how you're able to um, help people in our field improve their their own practices and stay motivated. So it's, a, it's an honor to be here. Well, thank you uh, for your kind words. And uh, I know, Sarah, you're excited about Donald being here too, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I've been recently starting one of your books and just finding it really, really insightful and enjoying it so much. So I'm really excited that you're here and I can't wait to have the chance both to learn from you and also to have our listeners be able to get some really great insights from you. Oh, well, thank you very much. So Donald, we're gonna start, really share with our listeners a little bit about how how you got into doing what you do and tell us what you do so that they know they know they can get to know you. Well, I uh, currently am, uh, am a trainer and I train uh, a lot of uh, clinicians using mindfulness interventions. I had spent time, as you said, as a, a Buddhist monk 
And uh, my life hasn't uh, followed a straight line. <laughs> it's been very circuitous, and, and I never could have imagined even at one point that I would have entered the field to become a, a mental health clinician. But after I uh, had uh, had a company that actually was one of the first internet comic strip companies, uh, and that didn't go as I had planned, and, and I was really uh, emotionally distraught after it fell apart. And um, <clears throat> I went into the monastery. Where do you go when things aren't working right? <laughs> I went into the monastery because I had seen certain patterns repeating in my life, and I wanted to see if I could understand it better. And I'd met this monk. His name was Uthilananda. He had passed away, uh, but when I had met him, he really had an impact on me. Uh, he had this sense of compassion. You, know, you mentioned that earlier when we were talking before the show started, how you had done some compassion trainings. And he had this, such this wonderful sense of availability and compassion. I never really felt that in anyone before. And so I was very drawn to want to know more about that as well as unravel some of the old patterns in my life. Going into the monastery really turned my life in a direction I couldn't have, uh, there's no way I could have predicted. Uh, I went in for just a period of time. I knew I would, the work I'd be doing was gonna be out in the world, but it, uh, it really profoundly shifted my life. And shortly after leaving the monastery, I wrote, uh, actually in the monastery, I wrote a book called Art of the Inner Meal. And that book led me to doing workshops on spiritual aspects of eating. And interestingly, I had people coming up to me with, you know, after the workshop, and they said, you know, I have this problem with you know, anorexia, bulimia. And I felt I really, uh, in order to help them, that I needed to go to school and get training. I went to graduate school, got training, ended up working in an eating disorder clinic for several years, actually, before I opened my own clinic. And um, and so it was, a, it opened a doorway to this field of therapy for me. And, um, and I, for many years, had a practice, um, had a thriving practice, but then I started to do more and more trainings. And I feel that's a wonderful thing that for people who are watching this, who have a specialty, have an area that we, a lot of us need guidance. And if you're able to provide that guidance to others, uh, find a way that you can do that. And it might be through writing an article, it might be through giving a workshop, it could be through writing a book. And, and that's what happened to me, that I, I started to offer more and more trainings and that became a bigger part of what I did. And, um, I remember finally reached a point where I was trying to balance these, uh, <laughs> having a, a practice and also the trainings and the writing. And it reached a point, I guess a tipping point where I had to make a decision. Um, and I finally decided to um, discontinue the private practice part of my work and to go full-time into doing trainings and writing, <clears throat> which was really fulfilling for me because I got to get out there and meet clinicians, meet people who were in the trenches doing their work and try to give them something that would be supportive for them. So uh, it's been an interesting journey. Um, and uh, I encourage anybody not to be uh, fixed on uh, thinking it has to be one particular way. You know, I love that. I love that story because you started with, I had a failure. And the failure was the comic strip. And, you know, one of the things I talk to clinicians all the time about when I'm doing my consulting is don't be afraid to fail because that's how we learn. And it led to this experience of you going into the monastery, um, which that became, it sounds like a really profound part of the guidance that you talked about in terms of your life and your professional development and personal development as well, right? Absolutely. Um, having that failure, if you want to call it that, or life experience, uh, got me to recognize uh, a pattern in my life 
and to say, hey, what can I do about this? Right. This is, uh, you know, there were relationships involved in that. And so I thought, how can I not let this pattern continue? Or just how can I understand it better and understand myself more deeply? You know, it was kind of interesting too in the monastery when people in that, and they were Burmese monks. So it was a Burmese community, even though it was in this country. And interesting thing was in that in that culture, the community would go to the monks to get their quote therapy. <laughs> if you had a problem, you would go to the monks and they would uh, uh, help you. They would guide you either through the Buddha's teachings or some, some of them would read tea leaves and they were very intuitive. And so it was kind of, it was fun to watch that and to see that process, how people would come and get help. And we, uh, so we need to, I think also what I learned from that experience was that we need to open up our minds to how we can help people heal that there's no one way to help people heal. And I was always probably pretty eclectic in my approach when I was working with people. So, um, yeah, I think there's a a lot that we can take from those difficult experiences in our life. If those experiences aren't so overwhelming that they crush us, right, or can be the reverse, or the converse of that is that you have so much pleasure in your life that uh, that overwhelms you and moves you into addiction. If you're somewhere in the middle, then you're more likely to be able to deal with that situation and to turn it around. So um, it's, it's kind of like an alchemy, isn't it? It's turning something that uh, into gold in your life. I think we could do that no matter what uh, difficult situation we've encountered. That's such a beautiful insight. And I love the way that you've been talking about kind of the eclectic approach because you do so many different things. Like you reach people through your writing, you reach people through the, um, you know, the training that you do, you reach people through your private practice, like you blog on psychology today, like you're doing so mm-hmm. many different things, reaching people and sharing your insights uh, and guidance with people in all of these different ways. So I guess my question would be, you know, especially for, you know, other people, other practitioners who are thinking about, you know, they have an idea to do more, you know, outside of just the one-on-one work that they're doing with their clients. How do you manage doing all of these different things without getting overwhelmed and burnt out? Because, you know, how can you write a book and, you know, do the training and do all of these different things that you're doing and not have it be depleting for you? Well, that's a great point, Sarah. And I think one of the things that you need to look at is what is what is, what is a passion for you? What gives you energy? And I, before uh, I went into the therapy field, I, I was a writer, actually, if you wanted, or I wrote a lot, rather than defining myself as a writer. <laughs> but I did a lot of writing for many years. And it was, it, it was fun for me, it was enjoyable for me. So I think it was something I naturally uh, was drawn to after becoming a mental health clinician, that I could draw on stories and share stories with people that um, were moving and touching and inspiring for them. I think it's so important that we find ways to stay inspired and to inspire others. I think of us lighting another person's candle, right? We're all, we all can be candle uh, lighters, right? And we can uh, have a flame and light someone's candle, get them inspired, share something motivating with them. Uh, One of the things, I guess, uh, in terms of being eclectic, (laughs) I think all human beings were were designed to be eclectic. We were designed to experience many, many different kinds of uh, things through the senses, right? And we are not just on the psychological level, but on the spiritual level of our being, the physical level of our being. And that anything we can do to integrate those different levels of our being, I think, is a very whole place to be. So I think it's about finding wholeness within that eclectic approach and not saying everything is just all separate, but it's really all part of a whole. And... I think wholeness is really beginning to take hold in psychology today, rather than, I know a lot of clinicians don't want to pathologize people as I never did either, 
but want to find a way to guide them into discovering their own wholeness, that we all have the capability, right? Uh, we just need to know how to tap that capability to find that wholeness within. And um, so that's what I see as the work that I do now is helping people find the greater wholeness, um, the core of who they are, <clears throat> that authentic part of themselves. So if you as a practitioner can do that in whatever way that you, that you do that and expand outward uh, and find joy from it, I think that's the key. I, then I don't think you get burned out. Uh, <laughs> no one wants to get burned out. Part of the business model, a successful business model, is as a practitioner experiencing your passion in an authentic way that creates the balance that you need when you're serving your populations that you're helping. Mm. And you said that beautifully, Donald, because what is passionate for you is to use the one of the big things among many for you is the use of the written word. And you can see that the roots uh, and how they've grown in you uh, as a writer. I mean, mm. how many books have you written so far at the date? Uh, I believe it's 20 or 21. Yeah. I... <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. Wow. I, I, think, I, yeah, I think you hit the 20 mark um, recently. And <laughs> many of your books, most yeah. of them revolve around the topics that interest you and that you believe in, you know, um, that are very close to your heart and mind and that you feel strongly about. And so, you know, tell, tell our listeners what you, what you write about. Um, first of all, I mean, I already know, but I want to hear it from you. I want them to hear it from <laughs> you. Um, and then also, um, you know, you talked already about, uh, having a passion. Where do you think your passion and motivation, for writing really uh, came about for you? Mm. Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I think back to when I was in grade school and grammar school, believe it or not, and we would have a book fair once a year. Mm. And uh, I remember as a kid seeing those shiny books on a big table and it was so exciting for me. I wanted to get all of them <laughs> and read them and take them all home. And, and for some reason, uh, uh, the idea that I could actually write books and share them with others brings it full circle for me, that maybe others can have the excitement of getting this book, reading it, uh, getting something of value out of it. And so I've always had a connection to books since I was a young, uh, since I was a kid. So can I ask a question? Go ahead. Go ahead, Sarah. I, <laughs> I just, I just wanted to jump in real quick with a quick question and that is how, like, do you have a practice of writing every day? Do you write when the inspiration hits you? Like, how do you approach? Because that's, it's such an impressive accomplishment to have written so much. Um, how do you, how do you keep the momentum going in that? Well, I think that once I, uh, you know, since I have done a lot of writing, um, once I have a book idea or I, I create a structure for it, so I'm very, structure oriented, that really helps me. Uh, once I have a structure, and I've actually taught writing workshops in, uh, at the uh, graduate school level uh, and elsewhere, but once I have a structure, then, I, then uh, I just get into the writing every day I sit down and uh, sometimes for a lot of hours a day, I'll just keep working. Um, and I usually have, a schedule in mind too. So I need to finish this book by such and such a date. So I kind of break it down that I need, you know, so many thousands of words a day or whatever. And uh, so there's a lot of uh, discipline involved in it, but it's easy for me in terms of uh, uh, one thing that I like to do if we have aspiring writers out there is to, I always start from the beginning of the manuscript and come back to where I was going to be starting fresh. And that kind of gets me back into the flow. And it helps me go over and smooth over and do the rewriting so that by the time I get to the area where it's new, um, I'm kind of in the flow. So it's one thing that the one little uh, thing that works for me that I've used. 
Do you have a do you have a favorite part of writing? You know, I the favorite part of for me is just shaping the stories and uh and and the rewriting. I really enjoy the rewriting because I think that's where a lot of the work comes in. You know, that initial era stage where you just put things down. <laughs> you know, it's like clay that you're shaping from that point on. And so you get to shape that clay and and smooth it out and and it's a it's a fun process for me uh, uh, and to play with words and to and to find precise meanings to things and to sh- actually also to share stories because I've also in some of my books I've interviewed people a lot of my books are uh, also have a lot of practices in there which is uh, something I think a lot of people want a lot of clinicians want to have practices for their that they can hand out or give to clients, but also just practices that people can use themselves. Um, but I also inc- like to include stories that, uh, oh, I remember one story from uh, Eva Kaur. This is a woman I interviewed. Uh, Eva Kaur, when she was a young girl in Germany, was her and her sister and her whole family were taken to the Auschwitz uh, camp. And um, she was a twin with her sister. And so they were experimented on. They were separated from everybody else. Her parents uh, died in the camp, but they, her and her sister were kept alive and experimented on by Dr. Mengele. And uh, Eva decided that she was going to survive. And she knew that if she survived, they wouldn't, uh, that they'd keep her sister alive too. Because what would happen if one child, you know, they would give them injections of poisons or toxins or whatever. If one child died, they would automatically, they then, uh, uh, they'd kill the other child and do double autopsies to see what, you know, what was working in a sick, perverse way. Um, so Eva made a vow that she would not die. And uh, she never told her sister because she was afraid her sister would put some negative thought in her mind. Well, Eva did survive, though, going almost dying at one point. A German uh, guard, a woman, gave her some food secretly and actually saved her life, gave her enough uh, fortitude and nourishment to help her. And um, so she survived, came back to the US and started in Indiana a Holocaust Museum for Children. And uh, so I interviewed Eva about her story of survival and the fact that she ended up forgiving not just Dr. Mengele, but all the other SS troopers. And her story of forgiveness was fascinating because uh, she had a lot of other Holocaust survivors who were telling her it was a horrible thing. She should never forgive uh, these people who would conduct these horrible experiments. But Eva um, actually went to Germany and met an SS doctor who had actually was, uh, had, was secretly doing good things. And uh, she met him. And it was a story of really of redemption and hope and inspiration. And she spent her time with this museum going around and teaching children about forgiveness. And uh, I think we need that, especially in our world today, right? There's a lot of divisiveness. And so what I like to do in my books is to share stories like that. And so I've gotten a, um, been able to interview some extraordinary people like Eva Kaur. That is a very powerful story and narrative. And I can just tell the way you tell it even now um, with so much descriptive emotion and, um, you know, content that, uh, you know, when you weave these stories into your books, there's so much passion and meaning and purpose. uh, And that everything that you write seems to sort of track along the line of uh, mindfulness and awareness and presence. And, you know, I've read most of your books uh, and, and so attached to your message. And, you know, I, I think about, I have to tell you this, the, the, there's a narrative uh, vignette in, in Mindfulness Code 
that I read. Um, and you, you get personal about you and your experiences in that book, um, if I'm recalling. And you, uh, you share this moment by moment picture of what it means to step outside your office during your therapy day uh, at the times mm -hmm. when you were doing therapy. And you just describe the colors you see and the air you're breathing. And, you know, this is obviously a narrative of mindfulness. And it really resonated with me as a clinician in a powerful way, so much so that every time I go out on a break, I think of you and your book uh, and that particular <laughs> book. And um, I, I pause and I look at the trees and I listen and I create this space of presence that really, um, I think a lot of clinicians, um, they're so rushed in their day-to-day -day work um, about going from one client to the next, one story to the next story that they listen to. Um, and it becomes a self-care problem uh, that uh, does relate to how they do business. And so your gift of weaving your stories into mindfulness, I mean, even the story about Eva Kaur has such uh, a powerful resilience to it. Uh, if, if you, you know, if you think about it um, in, in, a, in one of the most harrowing experiences in the world in history. And so I just love how beautiful you, how beautifully you, you weave these stories into this concept. And so can you, can you talk about your, your mindfulness angle a little bit more and expand on yeah. that? Well, thank you for mentioning that. Um, uh, the mindfulness code. That's also the Eva, Eva core story is in the mindfulness code as oh, well. That's right. That's why it was triggering yeah. for me. I try to approach it. I've written a lot of books on mindfulness and I've tried to approach it in ways that uh, I hope keep it fresh. And my approach to that, I think, is to share and to uh, my voice comes through, I think, as if, and I hope, as if I'm talking directly to you, uh, the reader. And that's intentional on my part. That's the way I like to connect. That's my favorite thing about writing is the thinking that I'm connecting with people on that one-to-one -one basis. Uh, in fact, uh, as a side note, I guess I could say that uh, it's the through the mindfulness code actually is how I met my wife, Maria. <laughs> She'd read that book and then come to one of my workshops and we met. So uh, I, I credit that book <laughs> for, for, for us finding one another. But I think that uh, everybody has a voice. And so to have that voice come out again in that authentic way. And for me, mindfulness is embedded into my life. <clears throat> and I, I can't imagine it uh, not being part of how I approach the day uh, in little in the little ways, the small ways that really uh, constitute our our life, but just that being present, bringing presence into connecting with others, and I feel that from each of you as we're talking here today, even though we're separated by space, I'm feeling your your presence here. And that's a wonderful thing, I, you know, and, and I'm always interested in brain science too. So it's that, that presence, that mindful awareness, that's the most human part of our brain, even this prefrontal cortex right here. I'm sure you, a lot of our clinicians know about that. Uh, but uh, to think that we can uh, stay connected, even in time of a pandemic, that we need to have our, uh, we still need our face-to-face -face time. I mean, it's good to do it over the screen like this, but then to find ways to do it uh, non-virtually is important as well. But I <clears throat> I feel that I've had people write, write me with regards to my books and I have to say and I, it, that when it happens, and it could be a, for a book that I wrote years ago or maybe a new book, but it, or, or somebody just wrote me recently and, and told me out of the blue, they said, I'm using your work today in my, in my addiction group. <laughs> and, 
And I was just so touched that they wrote me to share that. And so I'm always encouraging people to write me if you have any ideas about the books, any questions. Uh, and I'm always trying to make myself available for people if they have questions about their own personal mindfulness practice and so forth. Um, but I think it's that connection that really uh, kind of revs me up. And I think that's the other part of the writing that I enjoy is, is, is having a way to, uh, through my work, to reach others. Donald, did you just invite all of our listeners to, to reach out? <laughs> and connect? Yes, I did. <laughs> That's great. We'll actually uh, have yeah. your contact information in our show notes so that folks can okay, actually great. really reach. Yeah, they can reach out. And, um, and folks, I've known Donald for such a long time. And, you know, he's so authentic. I, I, I just, you please reach out to him. I know he appreciates that. And, uh, you know, interacting and connecting and helping. Um, you know, that's what it's that's what it's all about. Uh, I know we're we're gonna go take a, de- a, a a little detour, and Sarah's gonna ask you some questions uh, or a question at least um, on something a little bit different. But um, I'm gonna turn it over to her. Go ahead, Sarah. Yeah, okay. well, I, I think it actually is kind of connected to what you were just talking about because you're talking about the importance of connecting with people even when you can't be together, you know, necessarily in person. Um, And since you're a mindfulness expert, I wanted to kind of ask you about this because social media is so much a part of day-to-day life for so many people today. And so many clinicians who are trying to grow their practices or, you know, connect with ideal clients are being told, oh, you need to have a presence on this platform and that platform, and you need to be posting here and there and everywhere. Um, And it has both really positive parts about it and also potentially negative parts about it. And I'm just curious from your perspective, what has been your approach? Do you feel like there are good things that can be done through social media as a practitioner? Do you find it to be, you know, something that's draining and that you feel it's better to stay away from. I just would love to hear kind of your perspective and advice for people on that. Well, you know, if you're going to write a book, your publisher is going to want you to have a platform. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I, I think there needs to be balance. And I'd say that's, you know, uh, in uh, the Buddhist practice, there's this idea of the middle way. And I think that has uh, a lot of uh, uh, something important to say about how we can live to ha- find that middle way. So uh, we need silence in our lives. The world is buzzing all the time, and every and uh, it's it's pulling us and distracting us. Uh, and it's okay uh, to get connected with friends and make social media posts in that way. But we also need what I like to call divine silence, time alone, time to recognize the wonder, the awe, the grace that exists in the world, the beautiful things that are out there uh, to connect with joy and at a deep, profound sense and to have and to uh, and to actually cultivate that childlike curiosity, which is really part of mindfulness, isn't it? But to really, really look at things as if you're seeing them for the first time. And if you're constantly being pulled away, you can't do that. So I think we need to, just like you can give yourself screen time, and I think some people actually schedule screen time in, we can schedule in time to be out in nature, time to look out the window, time to just sit and be with ourselves, be with our own thoughts, with our own feelings. And so, uh, you know, it's important to find the balance there. Um, And I I often uh, want people to actually maybe do an inventory of that. I actually have a little chart that I think is in um, Clearing Emotional Clutter, which is one of the books I wrote. And it's a, little, um, it's, a, it's a little chart where people can track the amount of time they're spending uh, on different media, as well as how much time are you spending face-to-face with important people in your life, right? And it's funny, I've had people say, oh, can I count the time that you know, when I put the TV on mute during the commercial, and that's when I'm talking with my partner, I said, well, you can, but is that all the only time you uh, have uninterrupted face-to-face time? (laughs) So, uh, and and doing an inventory of that type is simply a way to help us become more aware. It's not to shame us or blame us, oh, you're, you're spending too much time doing this or that. 
but to really just open our own mind, become more aware, how am I spending my time? And is that really serving me and serving those in my life in the best way possible? So if we flip the coin over and we look at uh, our jobs to, you know, to put our information out mm -hmm. on social media, because, you know, I, I agree with you. I think having the balance as a, as a person viewing social media is important. We also generate uh, from our business standpoint, social media. I've, you know, I see some of your LinkedIn posts, which I love, by the way. Uh, yeah. do, do, is, is that a process that, um, you know, from the business standpoint, how helpful is that? And, and is it a lot of work? And, and again, is it the same answer of balance um, in terms of your business strategies? Um, I actually had somebody uh, who uh, I had worked with me to develop some of that for me and create the groundwork for it because I, uh, I imagine I could have done it on my own, but I think the time that it would have spent to create it uh, and the and I wanted to put my resources elsewhere. So I think it's, of course, really helpful to have some way for people to reach you, especially nowadays. Uh, uh, if you have a business, we need to be accessible. And more of our work, at least during the pandemic, is, is uh, telehealth, right? So uh, people are getting more comfortable at reaching out via screens. I think, uh, again, it comes down to balance. Uh, you might be able to find somebody to help you do that. But I think it is um, having some form of um, uh, social media um, platform for people in our businesses is, is really critical. You, you do need to have that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what... You know, we're talking a little bit about mindfulness and your work and your books. Um, I know you're working on another book. Do you want to share with our listeners about what you're working on, if you can? Yeah, well, I just, I'm having my first novel published next spring of 2022. And uh, it's called Travelers. And it takes place in a psychiatric hospital. So it takes people into the world of a psychiatric hospital and it's a mystical, spiritual, uh, psychological story of a psychiatrist who has lost his daughter and he's grieving and it's affecting his relationship and he, he can't find a way to heal. But what happens is a, a young patient comes into the psych unit and then there's a traveling animal therapist who comes in, a very mystical animal therapist, and it changes his turns upside down all the ideas he has about reality, and consciousness, even death. And so it's a story of healing and redemption and I'm very excited about it. It's called Travelers and that will be out in uh, spring of 2022. Fabulous, we're, we're excited. I can't wait to read it. It sounds, sounds oh, great, very interesting. Great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Donald, we're so glad that you could join us today. What a What an honor and a privilege and I want to maybe close with a really easy question for you. Oh yeah, this is the one though. This is the the easy fastball, right? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is the fastball that I love. You call it a fastball, Don. What, what many of you listeners don't know is Donald and I share uh, share a love of uh, baseball, and we oh, yeah. baseball games together. And so uh, we're we're definitely missing our our uh, our baseball uh, in person, and for sure. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, it's always fun to ask these kind of questions because, you know, there's so much that we do and, and we're givers, right? We're, we, we provide assistance and empathy and healing and, and, you know, we're, we're constantly giving to others. And so the last question for you is how do you give back to you? Like, what do you do outside of your work? that really revives you, that really just fills you up, that maybe even has nothing to do with everything we just talked about? Well, personally, I just, I love nature. And so mm -hmm. I love uh, just walking outside. And uh, I live in kind of a rural area, a semi-rural area here of Oregon. And there's some horses around and uh, 
uh, llamas and goats and different animals that I get <laughs> that I uh, I'm able to see and just able just walking out in nature taking a hike I went last uh, last week to Silver Falls Park which is down in um, maybe about 30 minutes south of uh, south west of Salem that's the capital of Oregon and they, it's a 9,000 acre park with all these incredible hiking trails and 100 foot waterfalls and I just took an amazing hike there and it was just that was incredibly uh, invigorating for me yeah so that's that's what I love to do or to travel to see uh, that out wonders like the geysers in um, uh, Yellowstone where I went uh, not too long ago before the pandemic. <laughs> but uh, even if you can't travel anywhere, just to go look outside, that, that brings me a lot of joy. So speaking of travelers, the title of your next book, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a traveler. You like to, you like to go places. And, you know, even like you said, in a pandemic, we can walk outside of our house and, meander onto a trail and suddenly find ourselves in self-care again. Yeah. 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 So I think everybody's going to find a different way to do that self-care. Uh, so whatever it is, yeah. Find a way to, uh, to turn off your uh, therapy mind and get connected to something else. Yeah. Your message is so valuable to our listeners and, um, we have something really special for our listeners, right? Oh yeah, gonna, yeah. This is exciting. Tell, tell us, tell the well, listen, tell our listeners what you're going to do. Well, we're going to give away uh, twenty of my book, Simply Mindful, which is like a complete course in mindfulness, and uh, which also you can use to teach people mindfulness. Uh, and I think there are like thirty six different. Uh, practices in this book so it was like a personal mindfulness guidebook and uh, so we're going to give away what 20 books great yeah and Sarah, uh, how i don't know how you're going to actually mechanically make that happen but <laughs> howard's got the books <laughs> yeah i have the books sarah you're going to tell our listeners how they're going to how they're going to be able to obtain a book tell us how tell them how they're going to do that yes so all that they need to do is leave a review for the podcast and you can do that wherever you listen to your podcast, any podcast platform. Um, just leave a review. can be honest. Whatever uh, feedback you have or whatever comments you have about uh, the show. And then just take a screenshot of that and send it to us in an email. And Howard, they're going to send it to you and we'll put your uh, email address in the show notes. And just send Howard an email with the screenshot of your review and the address where you'd like the book shift. And we will send it to you. And it is for our first 20 folks that send it to us because once the 20 are gone, that's all we have. You'll have to, you'll have to order it on Amazon or your local bookseller. Um, and I, I highly recommend Donald's books. They are amazing. They will bring you into oh, a, a unique you. and different place. I highly recommend uh, connecting with Donald. You're, Donald, you're such a wonderful human being. We're so grateful that you could join us today. And thank you for your, your wisdom your heart, your your words, your creativity. We're very grateful. Thank you. Well, thank you. And blessings to both of you for the work that you're doing too. Wow, Sarah, what an honor to have Donald on our podcast. Did you enjoy that? I learned so much. I love the conversation. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, he, he has such an amazing presence uh, with within and in connection. Don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And he has such a really deep and insightful, you know, understanding of so many important concepts that when he talks, you just, you learn so much. Yeah. What stood out for you in his conversation? I, I mean, a lot of things, but I think one of them was just the way that he talked about, you know, being eclectic in the sense that, he has all these different ways that he shares his insight and that he reaches people. He did, he did the one-on-one -on -one clinical work. He does training. He does all these different kinds of writing and speaking. And I, I think it's really a great kind of example for people who are 
you know, working in a clinical setting, seeing patients one-on-one, but who maybe want to do other things like they want to write or they want to speak or they want to expand what they do. And they're concerned that they're going to have too many things going on, that it's going to be exhausting, that it's going to be overwhelming for them. I think that he really talks about it in a way that makes it really clear that, you know, at least in his case, right, by focusing on the things that he's passionate about and doing things that he finds really energizing, that he gets more energy and and more ability to do things because he's doing things that he really loves to do. And I think that that is such a great message for people who want to try new things and do more things. Well, and um, I like that you talked about passion, right? Because in, you know, for me, the things that, that stood out that he said, he talked about inspiration. He's inspired by his work and uh, that being an important part. He loves story, right? So that's, that's what got him into writing. You know, when he talked about the Eva Core story, you know, he really talked about it with such detail in such a short amount of time. And, um, you know, for those of you who like narrative and story from your clients, you're talking about weaving those stories into a narrative that they, your clients can understand and make sense of and be healed from. And so from a business perspective, I thought I found his information to be insightful in terms of how we do what we do. And I'm not talking about the kind of graduate school training that we get in terms of like, oh, pick this intervention out of the toolbox or pick that one or be be this theory or that theory. I'm, I'm speaking of really, really what his message said, I think, is find your passion, tap into it and spread it, spread it out and, and take risks. And he even talked about you know, I love that he reworded when I said failure, he reworded it into challenge or, or experience. And that was such <laughs> mm-hmm. a, a non-judgmental word. He's right though. I mean, you try experiences and when they don't go as planned, you learn from them and you try again. Like he did when it, you know, the cartoon part he talked about in the beginning turned into him going to the monastery and getting guidance and awakenings and other kinds of passions that that really led to this explosion of, uh, uh, you know, chemistry within the field of mindfulness and um, its ancillary areas. So I think his message holds some great value for us as practitioners in that regard. And then it also becomes important in terms of just self-care and balance. Like it really spoke to self-care, practitioner self-care, which really piggybacks on uh, uh, episode six and seven in the, the last two episodes in season one. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And I, I absolutely love talking with him about his novel and the fact that he's branching out into not just writing books that are you know specifically about mindfulness, but writing a novel. And what a great role model he is in that sense uh, for for exploring his creativity and for diving into yet another new thing that allows him to really express himself and find the joy that he finds in in writing in, in yet another way. I think that's really special. And I think it's a great, I think it's a great example for everybody. And so I think that what's really helpful about Donald's message, Sarah, is that, you know, balance and being eclectic and integrative is really important. Like I was saying, for some clinicians, their passion, your passion, it might really just be seeing patients and that's okay too. So in, in other words, if that's what your passion is, then be the best at seeing patients, right? Like, go to trainings in your area and learn more about the, what it is that you do that you can do better about how you approach things in your clinical practice, right? That's really becoming um, a good clinician is when your eclecticism sort of, if that's a word, sort of- <laughs> It uh, is now. Uh, it is now. Sort of goes into, I love being a practitioner. So why don't I learn- different tools and ways to reach my clients if that's really all I want to do. And that's okay too, because a successful business comes from 
a place of passion. Absolutely. And I think that's a beautiful, a beautiful insight that people can take away from, from this episode. Right. So we'll have more in the show notes. If you want to be able to get in touch with uh, Donald Altman, we'll have his information in there. Please don't forget to email me at howard at howardbaumgarten.com. Your uh, review, a snapshot of your review, as well as the request for Simply Mindful, a wonderful training book that Donald wrote. Look for some of his books on Amazon. Just Google his name. You'll see all of his 20 books. And of course, he's got this amazing book that he's working on, which is a novel called Travelers, coming out about a year from now. We're very excited about that. And uh, please give our your us your feedback. We always love that. And Sarah, you're going to invite our listeners to do something new that we haven't invited them to do regarding topics and things like this. Do you want to go ahead and tell our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. We want to ask for a listener question. So any questions that you have that you think you would like to hear us discuss on the podcast, we would love to hear from you and and know what those questions are. So you can send an email to me, Sarah at strongrootswebdesign.com or to Howard. Um, I'll put both the email addresses in the show notes and just let me know what are you thinking about what questions do you have that you'd like us to discuss on the podcast? And um, we'd love to mention you when we answer your question, if you're comfortable with that, um, and give you a little shout out as we're kind of diving into whatever the issue is that you want us to explore. Yeah, we're going to read listener questions, basically. And by the way, if you if you don't want your name to be mentioned, just put that in the email that you prefer that your, your uh, question be more anonymous, and we'll be happy to do that for you episode when we sit down and talk with Dr. Chris Stout, humanitarian, author, psychologist, global health expert. For Sarah Gershon, I'm Howard Baumgarten, and this is PsychBiz. Thanks for listening.